What's going on, soccer fans, and welcome to the number one soccer-specific podcast in Northern California, the Sacktown FC Podcast, powered by Reboot and sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. Check them out at roughneckscarves.com and raise your game today. My name is John, and I am writing solo tonight, but joining me via the Makuti Dreamline is a soccer lifer who's played collegiately at CSU East Bay, went to Germany to chase his dream, and has worked in the coaching world with stops at Delta Junior College, UOP, and now the head coach of the up-and-coming Oakland Roots of the NISA. Please welcome one of the top up-and-coming minds in our game today, Jordan Farrell. Jordan, how are you doing today, man? Doing all right. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me on. Really appreciate you taking the time. We know you've got other things to do, like training, uh, getting ready for you know restart, but we appreciate you taking the time. So uh, the first question tonight for you is, how did you fall in love with the game of soccer? Man, uh, that's a that's such a good question. I uh, you know I grew up playing the game, but I also grew up a, a multi-sport athlete. So you know my brother started playing when when he was about five in like local rec in Stockton, and I uh, um, you know I was a couple years younger than him, so I grew up on the sidelines of his game until like until I could play. Um, but that, you know, the, that was the one sport that I played from, you know, four all the way until I, I won't say I play now, but until, <laughs> until, uh, until now, um, I also played, you know, a number of other sports, basketball, baseball, ran track, you know? Um, and so it came to a period of time in, in, in high school when I was deciding what I wanted to do for college. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, soccer was a, a game that I really loved. And, and my high school coach, my junior and senior year had really started to open my eyes to, you know, more like more of the game, more that I could learn about the game, the way in which it could be played and how challenging it was, um, uh, you know, even just improving your first touch uh, at that point in time. And um, I'll never say that I was, I was that good of a player, but uh, but it, it was, it was something that was always intriguing to me. And then, you know, really when I went to college at East Bay, um, is when I just, I fell in love with it. I, I, you know, I got, that was when I had like, uh, soccer channels and internet for the first time. And I would watch like three or four games a day, um, just, just record them and watch them. And, and, you know, from games in Ecuador and Bolivia to, to premier league. And, and I was learning about the world of football as well. Like, clubs and 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 um you know what what a club was in um in serbia versus what a club was in in portugal and um and all that that together kind of made me um really really just just love it and want to be around it for the rest of my life but when i went over to germany is when i knew like uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to coach. Um, I I'd always had this idea of like, oh, I'm going to coach when I'm done playing, but how I came to love coaching was, um, watching 10 year olds in Germany play and, and think the game and, and do so with incredible technique and speed. Um, it just, it made me, made me want to, to, to teach that and made me want to, to see that, especially from, from American players. So. Yeah. I find it interesting. You say you just dabbled at East Bay in soccer, but yet you started 83 of a potential 88, 89 games during that time, I believe. So you only missed a few, few matches. Um, and then you decided to go, Jeremy, what was, what was the, the process, you know, to, to be able to sustain such a, 
um, good track record of staying healthy and on the pitch for 83 games. And also, what made you think about Germany as your next step? So um, all those those games that I didn't play um, were uh, a lot of those. I would say probably four of those were my freshman year, and one was my senior year when I actually got got uh, you know little attitude issue and, and got, got suspended. So, um, for the most part, I, you know, I've always, like I said, I was a multi-sport athlete. And so I was always, uh, I was always really a fast guy, really fit guy. Um, and so that helped me kind of always be, be available, um, for selection. I also captained the team my junior and senior year. Um, and so, yeah, really, um, I mean, during, during college is when I, I, you know, I would say, Oh, I want to be a pro. I had no idea what being a pro was, you know, I, you know, we have the MLS and you would watch those games and all that. And that, that's, that's okay. I knew I wasn't that level, but I felt like I, I could, um, I could, there was so much more in the game that if I was taught, I could be a really good player. Um, and so when I finished playing in college, uh, you know, there just were lower division soccer in the United States at that time was really there wasn't a lot. And, um, there was a program that it's called IFX. Um, and they, they basically said, Hey, we can get you over there and we can get you a 30 day trial with a lot of these amateur clubs where you can earn, you know, anywhere from a hundred dollars, a hundred euro a month to, you know, maybe a thousand or 1500 a month. And I was like, what, wait, you mean I can, I can live in, you know, it's the couple years after college. So you're like, I can I have enough to live and I can, live in in a different country and and they had they had actually at the time a couple different countries to choose from and germany was dead last on my list it was dead last on my list i did not want to go there um but what i found out was i found out that there was a you know with a u.s passport you can get into germany and stay there for 90 days um without having to get a visa or anything like that so they told us to buy round trip tickets and i bought a one-way ticket and i was just committed to making it so uh, you know, when I got over there, uh, my first club, uh, you know, it was, it was, um, it wasn't a big club. It was the fifth division in, in Germany and, uh, it's the state of Bavaria. So it's like if California would have its own professional or, you know, I say professional cause now that league is actually a, a fourth division, um, uh, regional league there. So, but getting into Germany and, and getting into the culture there and getting into the soccer structure there was so mind-boggling because their system everybody's everybody knows germans are so efficient and they're so systematic and they're so process oriented um and that's the literally complete opposite of the american soccer experience right and so i was engrossed in this and at a time when i like i said I, i wanted i was learning so much about the sport and i just you know i would just go watch this you you can hop on the train and hit five clubs in before you leave the city. So there was always an opportunity to go watch how people were, were coaching, how kids were training, how, you know, amateur teams, professional teams, uh, how they were doing things. And I just, I just lived it. I, I, I engrossed myself in it. Um, and really, uh, you know, when I was there, I, I was an assistant for a U10s team and then also an assistant for a U17s team. And that U17s team played, in the 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 Bayern Liga, so like the state of Bavaria League. So we played like the 16s from Bayern Munich, and we played the 16s from 1860 Munich, and and so you know we we I remember we went down to to Sevenerstrasse Bayern Munich, and we we won, we won two one, and it was uh it was my first time like being on the bench for a game like that, 
and you know the week of training organizing it and and Bayern obviously everybody knows Bayern uh, and a massive win from for our little minnow of a club and I really it was just a a moment where I was like yeah this is what I want to do but doing it with German players didn't really tickle my fancy um, it was it was knowing that I can bring what I've learned um, and and take it back to America and potentially do it with American players or develop American players. Um, that was something that was really, really interesting to me. So that's, it's kind of my transition from playing into, in, into coaching right there. So did you start your uh, coaching licenses in Germany or did you wait till you came back to America? Yeah, I waited until I came back to America. And I, actually I waited a lot longer when I came back okay. to America. Um, just, you know, the licensing thing, you hear different things from people like, Oh, it's not worth it. It's this and that and other. Um, uh, looking, I'm doing my A license right now and looking back at it. Um, it was so, I'm happy that I'm where I am right now because of the way the American, um, federation licensing has, has developed. Um, but I, I do wish that I would have started when I was in Germany. Well, actually my, my second club, they offered, um, to kind of sponsor me to, to do that. Um, and I should have taken them up on it, but, uh, I didn't feel like my German was ready for, for a coaching course. Um, even though they felt that it was, but, uh, so I, yeah, I wish I would have just cause it would have given me a much different perspective on the coaching process. You know, I was there and I, I had a really good head coach that I was learning from. Um, but I think if I would have gone through even their initial stages of coaching education, um, it would just would have given me a, a different foundation for what I, what I'm, what I've gone through over the last couple of years. Well, you're still young. You can still make that trek back, right? At any time to, to continue that journey. Yeah. Um, so you've had a few stops here in Northern California from Delta junior college to a startup at the university of Pacific, moving to the Republic and working in the Academy uh, as the head coach and, and director. And then now you are coming from an assistant coach position and the head coach of the Oakland Roots. So what have you learned from your time in all of these little stops and pockets? And, and where do you, how are you translating that to what you're doing and the success you're having with the roots? Yeah. Um, it's been a, it's been a really, it's been a crazy last like, like 10 years. Um, but it, it's been, it's also been awesome. I mean, you know, we're starting in the central Valley where really, you know, we say the structure of soccer isn't isn't so well developed in the United States, but if you look at the Central Valley, it's probably even even less developed. Uh, and and a lot of people referred to it as the Wild West, um, uh, and and still do. Um, yeah. But what I, you know, one of the biggest things that I've learned, um, and and I've carried with me every place that I've been is, you know, people, f- football football is incredible and it's incredible who you interact with and it's incredible um, the lives that you're able to touch through, through that process. And uh, people might not remember the technical instruction that you gave them. You know, people might not remember, you know, I haven't been privy to, to coach in front of full stadiums and all this kind of stuff. But uh, the, the thing that I've, I've really enjoyed about the last couple of years is just the, the people that I've met that have impacted my life. And then the, the, the ways that I get to hear about that, that I've impacted other people's lives through the game. And I think that's really, really, for me, that's what football is. Football's for the people. And most important to that is um, the tools, like the, the way people can use football as a tool. 
um, whether it's just to, to expand their um, understanding of other people um, or themselves, um, as well as the, the tool to, to gain an education or the tool to improve their family life, whatever. So I, I think that's, for me, that's, those are, those are the, the paramount things, right? The, the people that you meet and the interactions that you have. Um, but the other thing that I've learned is how to be really flexible. <laughs> um, you know, starting at junior college and, and um, you know, we didn't have, we didn't have a lot when I was there. I mean, my budget, I think was like, like $2,000. Um, about you know, right. for, yeah, right. <laughs> you've been a Delta, so you know, right. And, um, and so, but I made it, you know, the, I loved every single job that I have and uh, that I've had. And, and when I was there, it was the, it was the Barcelona to me. And so being at Delta, you know, I treated it like it was my baby. And, and, you know, I think the players could feel that, um, you know, we, we, I don't think we didn't make playoffs when I was there. Um, but we did play some really good football and guys were recognized and, and more importantly, guys went on to, to get educations, um, through that. And, and some of those guys really changed the course of their families, um, family's life, uh, because of it. I was fortunate enough. I was doing my master's degree at, at Pacific when it was announced that they were, uh, getting men's soccer. My wife, now she's my wife, but we were dating and, and she was, uh, uh, an assistant in the women's basketball program. And, and like I said, I was in the master's. So the AD was actually one of my instructors. And so I had all this inside knowledge of like this, this, uh, this team that was coming and um, that didn't give me a job. <laughs> I actually had, you know, I, I got to advocate for yourself a little bit, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. But uh, I, you know, I sat down with the coach and, and they made a, a really good choice in hiring uh, Ryan Jordan, who's now at UCLA as the first, as the first coach. Um, but he and I went, we, we grabbed a burger at, at, uh, at flips, um, in Stockton and we sat down and, you know, over, a, over, a, a probably one of the best burgers, I believe one of the best burgers around, um, you know, we talked about what his vision for the program was, and he was very clear that, um, and aware that in Stockton, in the central Valley, there was a requirement to try to play good football and to do so with a team that represented that area. And so, um, you know, something I was on board with and I also needed to learn. I mean, this guy had at that point in time had one of the best records across the NCAA in the last couple of years as a coach. And so I knew I could learn a lot from him. Um, and I did, you know, the three years there, first two years were really rough. I mean, we weren't, we were trying to build a way of playing. We were trying to, you know, inculcate that idea into the community and all of this, but, you know, people were jazzed the first year and, and, and we didn't, win a lot okay and then people were jazzed the second year and we didn't win a lot and coming year three i'm really happy that we won, <laughs> won a lot because i think there would have been a lot of issues and, and it was you know it was a good learning experience for me walking the halls of the athletic department losing a lot yeah. you know well, um if you think about like the way recruiting works right your year one is always your that's your freshman it's just like starting a school right year two your freshmen are now sophomores you bring in new freshmen and finally they get you have your experienced juniors, some seniors, you have your, your sophomores who were freshmen last year and your incoming freshmen. So you start to build a program and you build it from the ground up, kind of like what, what you're able to do with academies and stuff. So what, yeah, that's, you're very, you're very right on that. So we actually, um, one of my professors and my masters was one of the, the leaders in the world of intercollegiate athletic department culture. 
And so his theory was uh, off a lot of research um, was that it took about five years to, to create a, a change. If you came into a program Well, we were like, Hey, we're, we're brand new. We have a blank slate. This never happens, right? You never get a blank slate to build from ground up. And so, uh, you know, we did take the long-term approach. We didn't go out and get a whole bunch of international kids that were actually 21 as freshmen. You know, we went and found guys that we knew we were going to have to develop. And in year one and year two, those freshmen played a lot of minutes. They played by the time they were juniors, they had a ton of minutes under the belt. And these were guys that we got from clubs that were winning clubs. You know, they won National League. They won this. They won that. So they were used to winning. And they came in as freshmen with that idea that they were going to win. And they lost. And then they as sophomores, they lost. So by the time we hit year three, we had the core of the team that was um, that was highly motivated. They wanted to do anything to not feel that feeling. And so we built on top of that. We actually, you know, we signed a couple of really key players going into year three. But those key players were really important additions to what was already happening. And so they came into a group that was very, very clear in their motivation, very clear in the way in which they wanted to do things. And so the peer pressure off the field was incredible. We didn't even run study hall that year. Like the players ran study hall, the captains ran study hall, and it was run the way that we would want it. Um, And so we actually recruited some of those players by sending them a game of us losing three, nothing in year two but having, you know, the ball and creating goals and, and all that stuff. So yeah, it was, you know, when, when you talk about culture building and team building that process right there at UOP, I, I believe taught me a lot more um, than any other process about managing people through the tough times to get to the real achievements and the, the highs. I mean, you know, we met Stanford in the second round and that was when Stanford was winning national championship after national championship. So you can't really argue with that. Right. Um, But, but still, you know, it was the best turnaround in NCAA history. And to get to that point, you know, the, the exhaustion that we felt at the end of it from going through two years of losing, but trying to convince people we were doing things the right way and also working to make sure we were doing things the right way. Um, you know, the payoff was incredible. Um, and, and to this day, some of the guys on that team and the people that I work with, some of the best relationships that I have, um, but to transition to, to Republic was, um, you know, a lot of people asked a lot of questions on that one, right? Like we were one of the hottest teams in America and, you know, uh, UOP actually went on to two more, uh, tournaments and, and, and second round. So it wasn't like, uh, it was all me. And when I left, it was going to fall apart or anything right. like that at all. Um, and it's but it was something, it yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and we built, like, like I said, it wasn't a short term fix that we were trying to get to. We were trying to build a really firm foundation and that sustainability shows in, in those results. Um, but I was looking for something different. You know, I'd also worked in club when I was at, at, uh, at Pacific, I was technical director for Monarchus and also ran a lot of the college age age groups with the, the staff that we had at, at um, Pacific. And so, you know, when you're when you're at the U23s age group in college, you know, you you can you can move into potential professional or stay at the collegiate level. Um, but I, I remember I had an experience uh, going over to Spain after that third year and and um, we were talking with a, a director of coaching and he was saying that, um, you know, a lot of what they're finding is that if 
to promote a, a youth coach, a player who's or a coach who's worked in player development and uh, worked in in individual development, tactical development, all this to the first team, they see a lot more success there than they do the, the opposite direction, right? So I'm taking somebody from U23's first team football and putting them down in youth. So for me, it was like, hey, I, I need to get this education. I need to go and 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 spend day in and day out working on developing individuals and developing their foundation to understand when I when I do arrive as a first team head coach, what a player is missing and where what whether that is teachable and adaptable and, and they can add it or hey that kid that that guy missed that at an age where you know we just have to accept that he's not going to be able to develop that so um and it's not to say that every person can't develop it's just to say certain things right that we know there's windows of opportunity and so i was lucky enough at, at republic to really um start at the bottom 13s and 14s uh, working 13s. with the 12s um and that was that was crazy you know you go from best turnaround in NCAA history to, Hey, I'm coaching 13s and 14. People looked at me like I was a little bit crazy. Just a bit, sure. just uh, a bit. But it was, uh, you know, it's, it's also Republic and, and, you know, Republic's heading to MLS now. And, um, it was an opportunity that I just didn't feel like I could pass up, especially in the central Valley with, with everything that I knew that was going on there, being in the youth scene, um, and seeing what Republic was doing, you know, when they, when they came and asked, I really, I really would have been a bit of a fool to say no. Uh, I'm, uh, it's crazy. You're sorry. you're essentially a home you're a homegrown coach. Um, there, there's another one that comes to mind at Man City right now. And Pep, we could we could we maybe in one day, a couple of years from now, consider you the American Pep? Same same uh, journey man. in a way, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, same journey. He was a significantly better player than I'll ever be. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I was you know I was a. I was at uh, in college and then the years after college was when he was at Barcelona and I'm a Barcelona fan, you know? Um, so I, I've there, everybody will say, Oh, you want to be like Pep? Like, no, I, I want to play really good football that, that wins. So if that makes me like Pep, if that makes me like, um, you know, somebody else like, okay, so be it. Right. But right. Um, for me, it's, it's just, and I've, there's certain parts of my philosophy that I've certainly learned from him. But Pep's been fortunate to to work with some of the best players in the world, with some of the biggest budgets in the world. I have not been so fortunate. So, when those things happen, then maybe maybe you can say that. But I've worked on the on the other end of the spectrum um, in the trenches. So, well, with everything going on, you kind of touched on the importance of academies a little bit. Um, you know, there is a, a a tug of war, you could say, for academies here in America now that the U.S. Uh, Soccer Federation has taken away their development academy. What, how important are academies to the future success of club and country here in America, do you think? Um, I think they're really important. And I think that the, the best thing about that is that every club should look at their, their youth development in, in a different way. They should look at it in a way that is unique to them. And I think if we have that, you know, I do know there's a period of time with the DA where they tried to say everybody has to do the same thing. They have to do this. And, and you know, look, if you're in Kansas, you're playing the game, you have different players, you have a different culture than if you're in, um, you name it, if you're even just down the road in Oklahoma, or if you're in Texas or different parts of Texas or different parts of California, everybody's different. That's what makes the United States really, really special. So, but with that, like 
develop your players. If you if you are a club that sits deep and plays on the counterattack and you can develop players that can do that, great. Because now we have, when I think about the national team selection, having the option to choose players that can do this, having the option to choose players that can do that. You know, we, we, we can always, as a, as, a, as a country, at the professional level, we can always go to another country and say, hey, that player is more developed. I'll, I'll take him for sure. But we'll always be doing that until the point in time which, when we invest in youth and give opportunity to youth. Um, to be able to develop, because that's that's you know one of the things in the in the research on youth to professional is one of the biggest keys is opportunity, um, and uh, we're not I would say we're not really a society a soccer society that uh, values those those youth players, and I don't know if that's because the MLS was developed on top of college, so now we look at the 23, 24 year old as the up and comer. Um, I think that's changing for sure. And I think what's happening is a lot of these uh, academies here inside the United States are, um, you know, we're doing a really good job of developing players up to 14, 15, 16, but there's a professional development that happens above that, right? 16 to 23 that our system um, and, and the clubs that we have currently um, just don't have that track record. You do have some clubs that do a very good job of pushing players from those age groups into being professionals. So it's not, that's a generalization, broad generalization, but there are certainly, certainly uh, clubs that are, are actually doing a good job. But what you're also seeing is a lot of these American players leave during that period of time to go put themselves. So the academy has done a really good job up to 17, 18, and now they're putting themselves in a better professional development structure where they will get opportunity, that their quality will give them opportunity. And then what we get as Americans is we get a, a more experienced player because it's instead of playing, player, yeah. yeah, instead of playing, and if you go to college, you play, you know, the, the college season is a, it's an incredible high. You play games, you have fans, it's, you know, all around campus, all that kind of stuff. But you get that for three and a half months which means a player isn't, isn't handling themselves as a professional week in and week out across an entire year. Now, when we have players at 18, 19 going over and playing, you know, you're seeing Yulianez break in, you're seeing Josh Sargent break in, we, obviously Gio Reyna, those types of guys. Now they're learning how to be a professional day in and day out across an entire year. And they're getting those experiences so the long term is that they're the, the short term is that they're getting better preparation to be a impactful professional at a younger age, not 23, 24 right. or even 25, where you see some of these players coming out of college in the MLS that they burn out in the first season because they, they just can't maintain that level for much longer than three and a half months. They haven't trained to do that for four years. Um, now these players at maybe 19 or 20 can contribute uh at a, a regular uh, high level because they've they've from 17 until that age, they've been in that environment that demands that of them. And if they're not giving it, they're going to get spit out. So it's that, that, uh, that pressure um, as well as being in a place that has the structure really, really is important. I hope that the American academies identify that and 
start to build structures similar. Um, not identical, because I don't think that that's the way. We need to be unique to us in America. We need to be unique to the clubs in their certain environment. But I do see it as really vital. Um, and I think, you know, we have a massive amount of youth development clubs. So I think when we're talking about the academy, we're talking about the professional development. We're talking about players being around professionals and understanding how this guy handles himself. You know, when I was at Republic, the guys from my 19s and, and 17s that were breaking into first team training were learning, you know, they come back to me like, hey, you know, this guy, he he's he's in two hours before the session for this and that and this and that. And like, yeah, and look at his career. You you might, you know, feel that in this way you're a little bit better than him. But remember, when we're talking about a season at the USL level, and we're only talking about the USL level, the reason this guy's where he is is because he takes care of himself in that way, is because he handles himself off the field in that way, is because he handles adversity in that way. And so them being the 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 reason why I believe the academy is really important is because it teaches about the professionalism and inside the lines and outside the lines wow. because of the proximity. Uh, and that m makes the difference in the long run. I mean, it's crazy to think, and, and you and I are, are not that far different in age, but growing up for me, it was always ODP and you wanted to play Olympics and national team. You never thought of club, right? Because the mm -hmm. MLS was still coming up and there wasn't really academies. Again, it was ODP and the idea was to go to play in those Olympic programs and then, you know, hopefully get noticed to play national team soccer. And now we have this academy where you're raised at a certain, to a certain caliber. And then you can go like uh, Davies at Bayern Munich, who, you know, was grown, homegrown talent in Canada, moved out to uh, Bayern where he's starting now and, and not just starting, but dominating the game at a young age. Oh, balling, against grown yeah. men. <laughs> his, his game is, is different. I don't think I you, – you look back at left backs, right? You look at um, Roberto Carlos or, or Cafu. Mm -hmm. They didn't have what he has. And he has the skill, the maturation, and he's going to Germany. He's maturing before everybody's eyes and growing into this just unique talent that you may never see again from Northern uh, North America. But we'll see. Um, you know, you, you, you said that you, you were here in Sacramento. We know you were here in Sacramento. You had a couple of kids who are now probably on the first team. Uh, sheets. What do you miss most about Sacramento? Um, you know, I miss uh, I miss the Tower Bridge Battalion. I think that those those uh, those fans were were awesome, and they really, um, you know, they're they're loyal, they're they're passionate, um, and I think that that was a that was a huge um, part of my experience is is you know going to first team games and and. Um, hearing the the passion that people had for the club overall, the the city obviously is an incredible city. I, I, I'm I'm very proud to say that I've coached in three of the most diverse cities in the United States, um, but Sacramento downtown, I mean, is is unlike any other. I mean, the the being able to walk around and and the restaurants, the the diverse people, all that kind of stuff was was really awesome. I think on the football side of things, um, yeah, I mean the the that full you know, we had a full, we have a full academy, they have a full academy. And so to see the inspiration that, you know, a little 12 year old can get from a, a 19 year old who, or 17 year old in some cases, who's getting called into first team training and now being able to 
to tell them, hey, this is the path that he traveled and look at where he is now. And so a 17 year old is now a role model for a 12 year old. And who knows what's going to happen in the, in the future for um, those young kids that started out at the, at the, at the youngest age groups in, uh, in Republic's Academy. But, you know, it was awesome to see um, some of those guys get their debut. Um, you know, uh, Hayden uh, got his, got his actual debut in the USL um, that, that first game. And I think Mario too. Um, so those are two guys that, that were, you know, U 14s in the, the Academy and, and have gone all the way through. And that, that's really special. Um, I think it's really special for not only the people who work within the club, but it's, it's, I feel like it's gotta be special for the people in the community when they see that, that, that is homegrown, you know, they've come through, um, they, they, they've worn the, the, uh, Republic crest, um, at every level. And now they have a completely different respect. It's not better. It's not more anything. It's just very different when you've come through the ranks of the youth and now you're arriving in the first team. Um, the, the pride that they have, the pride that their families have, the pride that the community has in seeing them be successful. That's one of the things that was really special about my time there. Um, we really felt valued in the academy. You know, we really felt like we had a, a responsibility to push our players because that was the only way to be uh, getting them ready for, for, the, for the first team. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm happy, you know, Mark's now the head coach. He and I got to work together for the, the, uh, a period of time when I was, when I was in the Academy and he was, he was coming on. Um, awesome guy, really, really good coach. I learned a lot, uh, in working with him. And I think he's, he's shown the, the, the cool thing is he's shown a track record of transitioning some youth players into being some, some top players, um, in his time at, with the Monarchs. And so, um, I'm excited for what the future has for, for, for Sac Republic. So silly question. Did you, or did you not have April 9th marked on your calendar and your oh, pregame man. speech already made two months in advance? <laughs> I was, when it came out, I was like, man, the soccer gods, man, they just, they, 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 they want it to be heated. And I got texts from, you know, former players and, and even my players here were like, Hey coach, are you going to be all right? You know? Um, I was bummed, man. I was really, really bummed that that didn't happen. And it still might, you know, it still might with the open cup and who knows what, what's coming with the schedule in the next couple months. But, um, I, it was certainly, a uh, uh, marked on my calendar. I think Mark and I went back and forth about it a little bit because, um, you know, it just, just to be, to be a Papa Murphy's, but to be on the opposing sideline, um, I'm sure there would be some special, special chance from the fans <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, and, and whatnot, but I would be certainly trying to spoil Sac Republic's evening, no doubt. So <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um, how has your experience in Oakland been different than that in Sacramento? Um, I mean, for sure, for me different because I'm, I'm with the first team, uh, you know, we don't have a youth Academy. Um, we're in the process of, of, of building what we, believe is the best structure for us to, to filter youth players into the first team and develop that. Um, but, but it's all been first team football. And that is, um, that was something that I wanted, uh, you know, something that I've always, always wanted. Um, and, uh, you know, I felt like it was the right time for me to move and get my feet wet at the NISA level, um, uh, first as an assistant. And then, you know, the opportunity to be, be the head coach of this club, it was, something that I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I really feel blessed to, to sit in that seat right now. Um, but it, it has been, 
you know, Oakland's a different city. Um, people rock to their own beat. There's a, a, a different pride in Oakland. The history of Oakland is all about resistance and, and uh, really championing civil rights. So during this period of time, Oakland is way different than any other place, uh, uh, you know, during the current climate and the happenings going on. So um, being here and seeing that side of things. And then, you know, like you said, you've been to, you, you've been to a game and I, I still remember the first game, uh, the first game in, in club history, which was, yeah, man, it was tough. The result, the fin- the final result was really tough because we were up three, nothing and ended up tying three, three, three. But um, I remember sitting there and looking at the skyline and taking in the crowd um, and, and all of the different walks of life that were, were in that crowd. And, um, and then, you know, we make sure our game day experience matches Oakland. It's a, it's a function at a game. And so um, those are things that, you know, I, I don't believe that I'd experience anyplace else. Um, you know, we had Mr. Fab perform pregame. We had the Grouch. We had Lyrics Born, those types of people who, are, who know Oakland, like they're, they're, they're Oakland. And, um, and then, you know, the, the, the players and, and the people that I've been able to work with, both experienced and, and inexperienced um, on the field, really, you know, it was really challenged me for sure, coming from the elite youth players that I was working with in, in, in Republic setup to working with grown men. Um, and, and guys that really, I mean, our roster is such an array of experience and, and points in their career. Um, so that's been, that's been really challenging and eye opening. Um, you know, they're all people at the end of the day, 12 year old is still a person, a 30 year old is, is still a person. So that's a, that's the one thing that I'm, I'm confident is that I'm, I'm, I'm good working with people. I think that the, the, the important piece uh, for me is just adjusting to, to professional, like day in and day out, um, professional life. And, uh, and it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Obviously coronavirus comes in right, right in the, at the beginning of my first season in charge. And so, um, that's certainly changed things. Um, but it's, it's been an incredible experience. The, the community of Oakland is awesome. Um, as you well know, uh, the East Bay is such a, a rich area, diverse area. And, uh, and I look forward to getting back on the field when, when the time comes. How bright is the future for the Roots, knowing that there's a potential spot in the USL for an East Bay team? Yeah, um, there's so the future for Oakland, like Oakland has never been built for, you know, that was one of the differences between Oakland and, and uh, uh, Sac Republic. Sac Republic was from day one, they were built for MLS. So USL was not, no, and they never pulled any punches or, 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 or hid that. USL was a step in their process to, to get to um, uh, the MLS. Oakland Roots is built as a, a, a club and it's built as a sports club and it's built for Oakland. So what the future brings, man, who knows? You know, I, look, five years ago, six years ago, I think is when USL, uh, when, when Republic won the USL championship and there was like 14 teams, right? Um, now look at the landscape of USL. So what, if you say, what's it going to look like in five years? Like, who knows that? <laughs> you know, yeah. who, who, who knows that? But what I think, you know, for, for 
for Oakland roots and for Oakland roots fans is, is really cool is that, um, you know, the, the, the way in which everything has gone about since day one and all the way into the future is always going to be consistent. We're going to try to make sure that the team on the field represents Oakland. We're going to try to make sure that, um, uh, that, 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 the, the values of, of Oakland, uh, uh, as a, as a, the ethos of Oakland and as a community are represented in the way in which we interact with our fans, the way in which we, we play football. Um, you know, I, I believe that, that, uh, we try to play a certain way and, and we'll try to play a certain way irrespective of the league that we're in, in the future that will entertain people and try to win because that's our objective. We're trying to entertain to win. And, um, uh, and those things, no matter what the league is, uh, and you know, when the, when the whole thing came out about the USL East Bay, we got a ton of texts and calls and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, right now I'm just focused on winning, winning a championship in NISA, um, in 2020, because I think that that would be really, really important for our community, um, coming out of this, this coronavirus situation. That'd be huge, you know, just to, to get the NISA, NISA championship and, and be able to say, to show what you guys have been able to do in the few years that you guys have been in existence and, and still relatively new in the, in, in the, in the idea of soccer for Oakland, I think in a lot of ways, um, you know, and, and personally for you, it's, it's kind of unique. Um, what is it like knowing that you're one of a handful of black coaches in the professional realm of soccer? What is that like for you to know that you're in a way pioneering future kids, especially with what's going on now in our society? Yeah. Um, I think it's really, you know, it's, it's special. It's a special time. It's, um, uh, I feel, uh, humbled knowing that, you know, um, obviously it's not something that you want to, you want to hear, right. You, you don't want to hear that. Hey, there's only, there's only a hand. I think it's like 82 coaches and, and, and 10 of us are, are black and there's only two, I think that myself and one other that are actually, uh, black American. Um, so, uh, there's a responsibility there, but I, I think the responsibility, um, is, is for me, the responsibility is to inspire others, to, to, to handle myself in a way, to coach in a way for my teams to play in a way, um, that, that other players, other people are inspired that they can do it. Um, you know, that's, that's always, when there's, when there's one of these situations where somebody hasn't done it or only a handful of people have done it, there, there has to be an inspiration for others to do it. So um, if I can be that, great. Um, and I, I, I hope to be that. I hope that someday in my career I'm coaching next to a guy and he's like, hey, I'm a coach today because I saw you. That would make – that honestly, that would probably make my career more than anything else um, because it's important that people see it. You know, the, the position of president, there's a lot of minorities that now believe that they can sit in that seat solely because somebody has somebody other than, um, you know, a, a, a white male has sat in that seat. So now people feel that they can. So that's that's the inspiration piece. Um, but I also feel a, a responsibility to ensure that that, you know, I'm coaching in a way and, and, and building the club in a way that um, it's not it's not a black coach as much as it is a coach. And, um, I've always felt that from the club that they weren't, they weren't saying, Hey, we're hiring you cause you're a black coach. Uh, um, you're, 
I was hired based on the merits of, of, of who I am as a coach. Now that's, again, the responsibility is to continue to prove that, that that's, that's the right thing. Um, I don't think that any person minority, whether it's ethnic or gender, et cetera, should look for access because of just who they are. They should look for access because they're qualified. And then you have to go into, um, and I'm, I'm, again, I'm really, really fortunate that, um, that, uh, we have the owners that we have because, um, you know, through the process, they, they ask hard questions. They, um, developed, uh, uh, processes for interviewing and, and things like that, that they really felt like they, they vetted the, the, the candidates. And to be honest, going for this job, there were some incredible candidates in the pool. Um, I didn't try to be better than them. I just tried to be my, my best. And, um, that's what I'm saying about, uh, you know, instead of me trying to be the best black coach, I feel the responsibility to be the best possible coach that I can be. And if I am, and if I'm, you know, right for the job, then that opens the door. Um, and that really hopefully proves to some people who might have a bias or might have a prejudice that, Hey, there can be people that do this. It's not, it's not a one-off. There's 10 of us. So it's not, it's not a one-off, but it really, if there's going to be more down the pipe, it's going to be because people were inspired and people were inspired to be the best. Uh, that for me was it. I, I wasn't so, no, I, I certainly am aware. Um, I think there, there's been, um, you know, only right now there's only two in, in the MLS. Um, and so that I'm certainly aware of that. Right. Um, but I want to, for me, it's about the journey to develop teams and players and, and clubs to win championships and then if you do that and that's your central focus, then you are actually blazing the trail for, for others um, in, in doing it. So in a way where the path behind you, people feel confident um, stepping into it, whether it's the people hiring or the people stepping into that job, they feel more confident because they've seen a really good, good model for it. So that's, that's kind of the responsibility that I feel. Nice. A few more questions and then we'll let you uh, get back to your evening. Um, a reboot question. I, we are sponsored, uh, empowered by reboot nonprofit organization that helps give back to communities through, uh, providing cleats and boots for, for our youth to get them involved in the game that we all love. But we've all had a moment in life that we've had to start over or correct ourselves like a golf mulligan. Can you share the moment you had with yourself where you needed a reboot, whether it was in life, whether it was sporting or academic? Um, yeah, uh, I, I certainly, I needed a reboot. Um, you know, when I, when I moved back from playing, um, in Germany, I didn't have, I knew what I wanted to do. You know, I didn't have a clear plan about what I was, what I was going to do. And, um, there was a couple times where I was just sat in the house and, you know, doing research and things like that. And, um, felt a little bit bogged down. There's about two months in there where I was just like, I was stuck. I was just stuck in a rut. I, I knew, I knew if I needed to, I would go try to play again, but like, I, I didn't really have the, the, the passion for playing the way that I had before. Um, but I didn't know my way in, in, in coaching and, um, you know, pressing, 
it's actually reboot is better than reset because when I, when I press that button, I really made a decision that I'm not going to, I'm not going to linger on what I, what I wasn't as a player or try to continue to, to, to prove myself in that way. Like I'm just going to press the button and go all in on coaching. And, uh, and I've never looked back, you know, I've never once questioned that decision. I've never once uh, even thought like, Hey, I'm going to, even take some time off. Like I've just gone all in and uh, you know, there was a really good conversation that I had with my now wife. We were dating at the time um, in that, in that process, but it really helped me. Uh, and I'm actually going to use that because it really helped me when I press reboot to the power came on and, and, and I had what I needed to really uh, attack what's my career full throttle. Now look where you're at you're coaching getting your class, your, 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 your level or class one, uh, class a. So, Hey man, it's, it's all working out. Um, all right. Rapid fire. Here's what we've got. I've got uh, six questions for you. You can pass on one, but you won't know the next question until you get it. Um, today's rapid fire is brought to you by new glory beer. Check them out online at newglorybeer.com or visit one of their locations in Sacramento or Granite Bay today for some great beer and awesome dishes. So, Jordan, here we go. Question number one, favorite pair of boots. Ooh, do you remember those, um, all black Nike legends? Yes. Um, oh man, all black, like no white. Ronaldinho's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Those are my favorite boots. I love all black boots, but those things were, they were kangaroo leather and murder. Whose management style do you resemble right now? Um, Right now, I'd probably say, I mean, just not because they're they're top of the world, but but Klopp is a good example of human, you know, human quality and 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 the focus on on um, and perspective of all that, but also the passion and the drive and 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 all of that for for your team and for the game and for the fans too. Nice. What has been the biggest challenge for the club after this COVID layoff? Um. I mean, the the biggest challenge has been making sure that the the environment is safe for the players when they when they come back. And there's so many different factors. You know, these guys were we're not locking them up and 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 turning the key and saying you can only come out to train. Right? Uh, they're human beings and 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 they're men. So we have to you know talk to them and work with them on that. But to make sure that we're creating a safe environment that they feel comfortable coming back to train and to to, to get back to work. Um, uh, you know, they want to, but they also want to make sure that they're safe. And, and we as a club want to make sure that we're providing a safe workspace. So that's been a, it's been a big challenge. I've been on a lot of calls, a lot of permutations, a lot of this, that, a lot of uh, question marks. And, and, you know, I've learned to take it day by day and week by week, but uh, we're lucky we're back. We're back on the field and, and kicking a ball. So most frustrating part of being a head coach. Oh man. Um, I think uh, I learned this when I was at at, at Delta because uh, I was an assistant coach for the the first year and then head coach for two and and it, it always rings true when you're the boss and you make the the decisions you know guys um, guys even if you have a really good relationship which I really try to work on with all of my players but um, guys there's a there's a you're still the boss and uh, they they won't be as open or they won't be um, just as, as friendly as when you're the assistant, you know? And so, um, that's frustrating because I want them to be, you know, I, I don't, um, 
like I said, I treat everybody as a human first and then as a player. Um, we, we, as a boss, you have to make the, the, the tough decisions as the big man. I got to decide 11. I got to decide an 18 that has nothing to do with whether or not I like the guys. It has everything to do with, you know, what I feel like will, will give us the best chance to win. But when you have to make those decisions, you know, guys, then they're, they're not going to be, uh, the same towards you. And so that's, that's a, uh, one of the things that I'm not so fond of, of sitting in that seat, but, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reality. It's the hard life conversations, right? Um, What four players, past or present, do you uh, build a team around? That I've coached or any any players? In the history of the game, four players that you could get from any time in the game to put on your squad. Um, Carlos Puyol, number one. I I build an entire team around that guy. uh, there's no no ifs ands or buts about his drive and desire to win his um, uh, heart and 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 really the the dying for the crest and the and the club. That's number one. Andres Iniesta is number two. I personally um, think it was criminal he didn't win the Ballon d'Or in 2010. He is uh, for me. He's what um, you know when you look at a footballer, not a, an athlete or something, but a footballer and the, the sport being what allows him to be the genius, that guy, man, I just, I don't know that there's been more, more like hands on heads and, and crying moments from his brilliance than, uh, than anybody, anybody else in the game. Um, the next two are, are going to be kind of tough. Um, yeah, I mean, messy. Messy for me is uh, you, the game won't be the same uh, after he retires. You know, he's changed the way defensive organization uh, happens. He's changed the way, um, you know, he's, he's just he's he's really changed the game. And and I don't care if he wins a World Cup or not. I still think he's the the greatest of all time. Um, and then the last one, you know, my my. That's a good one. Um, I'm thinking about more who I'm like, I'm like, no, I would do that, but I'm not going to choose them. Um, Claude McAuley. Claude oh. McAuley. Um, well, he is, uh, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, if you're talking about, I got to build a team. Um, you know, I, I just gave you uh, the, 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 the spine, you know, mm-hmm. um, Puyol is a center back. McAuley is a, as a six. Iniesta is the one pulling the strings and Messi, Messi being Messi. Yeah. Um, but McAuley, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, when he was playing in England, I had a couple of English friends and they defined that role as the McAuley. And I thought that was interesting. Uh, now, you know, nowadays my style of play, he might not fit in my team, but if you're talking about a team that I need to win games with that, that guy's, that guy's on the field. For That's sure. awesome. Uh, last question for you. And it's the question that we ask every guest. Uh, because to us, it's always soccer is a is a community thing, uh, brings people together. But what does community mean to you? Community means people that uh, that that really they love each other, and that doesn't mean that they all have to agree on everything or or see things the same way. But it means that they they love each other, they respect each other, they look out for each other, and they share. Um, uh, they share the space, they share the, the, the values they share, uh, and they respect the, um, 
their environment that they're co-creating. Um, I think you're, you're 100% right, man. Football is everything for, for communities. And, um, and, and my hope, my goal as a coach is that what I am able to facilitate on the field simply makes the community that I'm doing it for get tighter and tighter and tighter and feel pride in, um, that, that, that team and our club represents them. Um, and so I'm hoping that we're doing that in Oakland. I hope that, um, I can do it here for as long as they'll have me. Um, and, but, but I I think what you're saying is, is spot on, like football is for the people and the people make up that community. And so I think in today's day and age, people, who are, are aware of their community members, aware of uh, how they might see things and experience and, and being willing to sit and listen. doesn't mean you have to agree. It, 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 by no means doesn't mean you have to agree. But uh, that that sense of community is that you respect that person and you love that person, irrespective of their opinions different, um, different than yours. So, Well, Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time to join me this evening. I really appreciate it. I look forward to continued growth and success for you and the Roots. And hopefully we'll see you uh, if, if play returns for the Open Cup. We'll be able to uh, give you some, uh, give you some uh, proper treatment and welcome home, right? <laughs> I hope, man. I hope I can, I can spoil my homecoming if that, if that happens. <laughs> uh, but awesome. No, thank you so much for, for having me on. It's a great conversation, and, uh, and I really appreciate it. Cheers, man. Thank you very much. Have a good rest of the evening. You too, man. Take care. Today's guest was brought to you by the Makuni Dreamline. Makuni Midtown is open, but if you can't get there, it's still easy to get your favorite dishes using the Makuni app. Please make sure to pre-order, and when you arrive at the location, they will deliver your meal to you in your car. Visit them today at makunisushi.com or download their app available in the App Store or Google Play. And don't forget, we are on social media, Sacramento Soccer Fans Facebook group. Uh, You can also find us on the Sacktown FC podcast Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram at Sacktown FC. Also, can't forget about our lovely sponsors, the California Storm and Reboot. You can find the California Storm on calstormsoccer.com. They can be found on Instagram and Twitter at calstormsoccer, and they are on Facebook at the California storm and Twitter and Instagram for reboot. Their handle is at you can reboot and reboot.soccer is the website. We're also now gamers, part of the gaming world with Twitch. You can find us on Sacktown FC where Luis plays on the Xbox and spends a lot of time also playing Fortnite. That is Sacktown FC is the gamer tag. I believe that's how you, what you say nowadays, but Sacktown SC is the gamer tag for Xbox, and I am on the PlayStation 4, Sacktown underscore FC. You can also check out all of our previous episodes and what we're up to uh, on our website, sacktownfc.com. And also on, um, online, you can go to Roughneck Scarves, where you can find the official limited edition Sacktown FC podcast scarf. $24.99, free shipping. Uh, and a hanger to those who pre-order, and that pre-order will end soon. So make sure you get on that as soon as possible. This podcast was powered by Reboot. Reboot is a nonprofit organization whose sole purpose is to help more kids play soccer while creating opportunities to practice generosity, empathy, 
and leadership. Check them out at reboot.soccer where you can find out more ways to be part of the program and help reboot your community today. Well, thank you to everybody who uh, tuned in and thank you to coach Jordan Farrell of the Oakland Roots for taking the time to join us. Make sure you subscribe and leave some comments and positive feedback so we know what we're doing well. Check out previous episodes on our website at sacktownfc.com. Until next time, cheers, everybody. Have a good rest of the day.